on Job if you don't know who Job is. Job is a man who is spiritual. He is healthy and wealthy, and he's got 10 kids. He's high on life. The Bible describes him as one of the richest people of his time. And then out of nowhere, he gets sucker punched in four different ways in one day and then tested in another way. Because the Bible says that Satan had a conversation with God and they had a conversation about uh, Satan said this, your followers, God, are really so superficial. Their faith doesn't go very deep. If you'll allow me to test them in two different ways, I'll show you just how shallow their faith is. Because their faith, as we talked about last week, is either material or it's physical. You take their stuff or you mess with their health and they'll roll out on you just like everybody else who rolls out. And God says, not my boy Job. He's a man who's blameless of complete integrity. Someone say integrity. And so Satan says, okay, then let me test that. And let me put it to a test. And he takes everything away from him except his wife, which reminds me of a joke that I once heard by Tim Hawkins this time. And I'll let Tim Hawkins tell the joke real quick. Watch this. But I just got blessed with a good wife. Not every guy has a good wife. Sorry. I mean, think about Job in the Old Testament. Think about Job's wife. She must have been a real piece of work. I mean, the devil took everything from Job, man. Killed his kids, killed his servants, killed his livestock, covered Job in boils and sores. But his wife did not die. That's saying something right there, isn't it? Like, hey, devil, Job's wife's right over there. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Trust me, leave her. I know what I'm doing. <laughs> oh, come on. Somebody's felt that way. Some wives have probably felt that way about husbands, too. That's funny. I don't care what you say. But listen, Job, Job loses, like, everything in his life except his life and his wife. And um, the rest of the book is really just questioning God. Let's pick up there and let's look at what uh, God says to Satan when Satan says, let me test them materially and physically. And it says in Job 1 verse 12, the Lord said to Satan, all right, you may test him. Somebody say test. You may test him. Do whatever you want with everything he possesses, but don't harm him physically. I need you to see God puts limits to what Satan can do, and Satan has to obey. He is a dog on a leash. He is under authority, and there is a limit. There is not co-equal uh, deities going on here. One is superior, and one has to obey the limits. And so he tests him, and Job passes the first test. So Satan yet again asks, it says, let me jack with his health a little bit. And God says, all right, do with him as you please, but spare his life. Once again, conditions. You can only go this far. And so God took down the umbrella of protection I talked about last week where God covers people of integrity and he says you cannot mess with them. It's only when Satan says I want access to this one because they're all superficial that God knows what's on the inside and I'm going to jump from the beginning and answer the question you're all waiting for and then try to convince you the rest of the time. Why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? And one of the many answers is this, um, God, or you should write this down, 
God knows what's inside you, and he wants you to know it too. God knows what's inside you, and he wants you to discover it too. And so this message, if you're taking notes, and you should, because i got a lot to share with you this morning. I'm going to go fast. So either take pictures of the screen or write down notes or get your thumbs ready. Come on, go ahead and lick your thumbs. That was kind of gross if you do that on your screen. There's more germs on your screen than there are on an airplane seat. I don't know. My wife tells me those stats. I don't really, you know, I, anyway. Some of y'all get it, some don't. All right, come on. You're like, give me the Lysol wipe. All right, anyway, here's the message. <laughs> the purpose of pain. The purpose of pain. Father, I need your help speaking today. This was uh, what you do, and you have great things on the other side of it. But, Father, in the valley, we thank you that you walk with us as a good shepherd. So, Father, speak today, and we open up our hearts to you to receive. And everyone who wants to receive today can say, Amen. The purpose of pain reminds me first of a story that I once heard of a teenager who was not born blind, but he went through a chemical explosion that was nearby, and it caused him to go blind in his teenage years. Six months of whining, not, not whining, I'm sorry, but I, I don't want to sound insensitive, but six months of dealing with that and struggling with that and, and, and just moaning about it all the time, his father had had enough. And so his father said to his teenage son, I'm going to work, the winter is coming, go into the garage, get the ladder, and go get the storm windows, and go put them on the windows, it better be done by the time I get back. I'm tired of you sitting around, go and do it. And then he seemingly walked out of the house. While the son was so angry that he yelled at the top of his lungs as his dad was leaving, fine, you won't just have a blind son, but a paralyzed one too. And so he so angrily gets up and he, and he finds his way to the garage and he finds his way to the ladder where it always is and he puts it on the roof and he's speaking under his breath the whole time. You know, you don't even care about me. So insensitive to what I'm going through. Can't believe you would expect someone blind like me to do all this. And he, he's making his way up and he completes the task all the time unknowing to him that his father had never gone to work. His father shadowed him every single step of the way to make sure he was not in too deep, that he would not hurt himself, that he would not fall off the ladder, that he would discover what the father already knew about him, but he needed to discover it in himself. And that was this. The father said this. It was worse for, he, he said, he knew that helplessness was a far worse curse than blindedness. See, sometimes our Father knows what's on the inside of us, and it's only opposition or tests that are required to show what's really on the inside. In fact, write this down. A test is required to show what's really inside. I don't have to tell you... Um, I don't have to uh, uh, help you understand this, especially our educators. They know they're up there teaching and like, do you get this? And we can say all day long, yeah, I got it. I understand completely. Okay, then close your books. We're having a test because the test is going to reveal what's residing on the inside. We're, 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 we, a test is required to show what's really on the inside. It's, it's kind of like... Um, one year, we had uh, a guest speaker come in from out of town, and one of my joys was that uh, 
my daughter was leading worship with the teen, our oldest daughter, uh, right here on piano today for the first, uh, second time on a Sunday. Y'all go ahead and give it up because our worship team and all of our teams are developing young people and you're not too young to serve and you're not too young to get involved and God uses young people and I just love what they're doing. But I got the teacher of the first few notes and I started discovering this girl picks it up quick and she's got a gift and she can sing and I'm like... There's something inside of her. So when a guest speaker from out of town came, I did the cardinal sin that most of you parents have done before when you were proud. I actually uttered the words, she's great at it. Bella, go ahead. Go get your keyboard. Come down here and play something for her. How many parents have made that mistake? Were you just like, my kid's reading now. Go ahead, read it. Read the stinking book. <laughs> I'm on the clock. I know what's inside of you. Read the book. I'm like, play the song and worship the Lord. And she's like, I ain't doing it. Come on. Hey, I, I learned better. I learned better. But she did it today, right? Because every proud daddy knows that a little bit of opposition, why would, allow, why would I allow them to go through that? Because, um, because I'm proud of her. I know what's inside of her. And I believe in her. I would have never done it to... Uh, uh, um, to, to embarrass her or to make light of something, I already knew she was going to win. All she had to do was step into it. And in the same way, like a proud daddy willing to allow some pain in order to show off their purpose, God has more faith in you than you have in him sometimes. And he's going, go ahead and get the piano. Oh, I know you don't like this season. Go ahead and get the ladder out. Put the storm windows on. Because I know what you're capable of, and I need you to know what you're capable of. Oh, I know you're strong inside, but do you know how strong you are inside? And a test is required to find out just how strong you are on the inside. Like it or not, tests reveal what resides on the inside. Now, it gets quiet because a lot of us would feel like, yeah, but P.D., some of the tests I've gone through are way too harsh. Isn't there a better way to bring out what's on the inside or to reveal how good God is? But I would answer that with questions of my own. Would you understand good if there was no evil? Would you understand summer if there were no winter? Would you know the sweetness of victory if there was no agonizing defeats? Would you understand up if there were no down? What I'm trying to say is, who is the one who attacked Job? Satan did it. And so oftentimes we will blame God for what Satan did in the first place. He's the dog on a leash, but he's a violent dog on a leash. He's an angry dog on a leash. And so oftentimes we'll hold God accountable and God is always right there to, to walk with us and to make sure that it goes a certain amount of space and no further. But opposition is required to see the vibrance of color in life. When's the last time you watched a movie with no opposition and enjoyed every last bit of it? When's the last time? Um, you, you, you played as uh, you, you enjoyed art if you knew that everything you created was an instant masterpiece it would get to the point where it's just there's no color in life opposition is required to show the vibrance of color in life 
And often you will find that people who have experienced the harshest of lows also have experienced the sweetest and richest of highs. And so uh, one more truth about tests before I talk about how you can walk through empty tank seasons is this. Any good teacher knows this to be true about tests. A test is only given to a student expected to succeed. A test is only administered to a student expected to succeed. No third grade teacher at the beginning of class says, put, uh, put away your notebooks, pull out a pencil, we're about to have a 12th grade math test because it'll be funny. <laughs> this is going to be awesome. Ain't none of y'all got a shot, but we're going to do it anyway. A good teacher says, here's the material. Do you understand the material? Just to make sure you do, here's some homework on the material. Don't talk to your neighbor. Make sure you are following and get your material. Work together as a group to understand the material. Now, do you understand it? Yes. Great. Let's have a test to see if it resides on the inside. In other words, you will not be tested more than God knows you can handle. It says this in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. The temptation in your life are no different from what others experience, and God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. And when you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. The thing I love about Jesus Christ is he didn't just live a perfect life, die on the cross to forgive us of our sins, and then go away and say, hope you figure it out too. But he said, I go away to release the Holy Spirit to you. The very same conqueror that lived in me now lives in you. And so he says, he can do it in you too. And so we never go through tests as Christians with a closed book test. Come on, every single test, we have an advocate, we have a counselor, we have a comforter. We have one who understands. We have one who knows how to beat death and the grave. We know who, who one who is unconquerable. And he's always right there with us. We just got to realize when we grumble our way up the ladders that our father didn't go off to work and leave us abandoned. He's been right there the whole time. He's right there to say, how do I do this? Put your foot a little bit to the right. Hold on. Danger right there. Let's move a little slower in this section. Okay, put it up. You got it son you got it daughter I knew what was inside of you I just needed you to discover it too because helplessness is a far worse curse than blindedness and God did not raise up sons and daughters to be co-heirs with Christ who are royalty spoiled I don't know how to have victory I just know daddy had victory like a, like a second generation uh, son of, of wealth who hasn't quite figured out that it's through opposition and grit that I have found victory. And you ask any person what is their greatest moments and victories in life, they'll say it's some of the hardest stuff I've ever done. Because testing has a way of bringing out the vibrant colors of life. Now let me say it one last way. Maybe you'll get this. When I read the book of Job, again in the first chapter i felt like god was a little bit like this imagine i'm the head of a sports team that i know what's in them and they can whoop any other team 100 percent confident they can win any game that the ball's rolled out on the field on now if you bring your team 
and say to me, my team is stronger than yours? Am I a loving, proud, believing coach to say, hey, guys, they might beat y'all. I mean, I know what's on the inside of you, but stay seated. Let's stay in the hotel. Let's go just, let's just take it light because I know you can win, but you haven't figured out you can win. Am I a loving coach or am I a coach, a loving coach if I say, roll the ball out? It might go down to the last second, but I already know my people are equipped to win. And I would not roll the ball out if I didn't think they could win. I need you to understand that God is believing in us far more than we believe in him sometimes. And if he rolled the ball out, we got to say, he is with me on the court. He is not rolled out. He's holding the ladder. I might not see him at this very moment, but God's got a plan, and victory is always in his name. Somebody give him a celebration of praise right now. God's protection would never have been lowered if he didn't think Job could handle it. He would have been a poor father if he said, Try it anyway. If you read God's angle, he's like, it ain't going to work. My son's going to step on your neck the same way my other son stepped on your neck. So go ahead and give them a test because they will win in the victory. Amen. So though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for God is with me, and his rod and his staff, they comfort me. Our God is stinking Donatello with a long-range staff just going, come at my sheep. Come at them. Let's go. Behind them the whole time. Some of y'all don't know who Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles are. But listen. I don't want Raphael being my shadow and my protector. He's got them little sides, and were enemies way too close. Our guy's like, come on, long-range, six-foot bow. Your rod and your staff have whooped up on some enemy. They protect me. And though I walk through this valley and this test, I shall fear no evil. So th- even though it's difficult, I am prepared, and God has not abandoned me. Amen. So what should I do if I'm running on empty? Number one, here's four things you can do if you're running on empty. Number one, live on God's line all of the time. Live on God's line all of the time. Let me explain, okay? Um, I, 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 I want to uh, bring up my iPad for just a moment because l- let me be very clear with a short amount of time. There are many tensions in life, Okay? Uh, there are many tensions even in the Bible. Our God is both lion, fierce, strong, you wouldn't want to cross him, and lamb. Cuddly, I want to hold him, I want him close to me. Do you get that God is saying, I'm in the middle of them? I'm in the tension of it. God speaks of grace, love everyone, accept everyone. Uh, uh, God can extend grace over every sin, and truth, keep it real, keep it clear. Make it easy to understand. He's in the tension of the two. You figure out how to get it in both camps. God is saying you should have it in both hands. He he says, worship the Lord with all your heart. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary. He says, fearfully and in awe, reverently worship the Lord. Which is it? Exuberant and excited or reverently and calm? It's both. Live in the tension. Now, let me give you a principle that I see in Job and the rest of the Bible that is a tension point. So be very, let me be very clear so you don't misunderstand me. I want to talk about the tension between the principle of sowing and reaping. 
you, what you sow, you will reap. And the principle also of innocent suffering and God's mercy. There seems to be both. So what I want to speak to for just one point, and one point only, is what do I do when it comes to the principle of sowing and reaping? It doesn't explain everything, but it is a part of the Christian story. The Bible says this, that our job uh, is to control what you can control. Galatians 6 verse 7 says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. In other words, now I like to draw a little bit because I'm a visual learner. Is this working up here? Awesome, great. So if I were to do one, if I were to act like I'm a math person and do one of these charts, come on, there is a principle of sowing and reaping, and there are positive things we can sow, and there are negative things we can sow. And we can reap positive things, and we can reap negative things. Now, the principle of sowing and reaping goes like this. If I do something positive, I can expect to reap something positive. So this is what happens. Or if I do something uh, even, even greater, the, the, the Bible says, Jesus said it this way, to the same measure that you sow, you shall reap. So I can expect that something great's going to happen. Now, also the same principle is true that if I do negative, if I sow something negative, I can expect to reap something positive or negative. Negative, which means I'm here, and even worse, I'm down here. In other words, there is a line, and it's called the principle of sowing and reaping. Sometimes the innocent suffering we are enduring is not so innocent. If we'd be real, we already know I crossed God's line a long time ago, and what I'm going through I'm just reaping what I have sown. Again, it does not describe everything. But we are told to control what we can control. Now, let me tell you how the enemy likes to use this, because maybe you've heard this one before. He likes to say, you do bad things? <laughs> Nothing bad's going to come, Adam and Eve. If you disobey God... Good things are going to happen. You're going to end up here. Come on. If you want to sleep with whoever you want, be with whoever you want, orient however you want, be as angry as you want, go off on whoever you want, talk about whoever you want, guess what? You'll be popular. You'll be cool. Amazing things will happen to you. Can I tell you that this is Satan's fantasy land right here because he's spoken it to you before too you can do bad things and get away with it you can be um you can be whoever you want to be and and, and society will bless you for it he also likes to say you believe in prayer ain't nothing happening with prayer you think you're believing for healing you ain't gonna get healed that doesn't work. All this stuff right here doesn't work. This I call doubt land, where he gets us to doubt the integrity of God. 
Here's the good news about this principle, and it doesn't explain everything, but I love this, is that this land right here is not just fantasy land, but it's also a land of mercy where God says, so you screwed up a little bit. I cover it. I choose to cover it for all who, who, who ask the name of Jesus Christ and are covered by his grace. I, I, I give mercy, and while what you deserve is negative, I instead give mercy. Somebody celebrate God for a quick minute let me just say this John Maxwell says it like this if you don't like the crop you're re reaping check the seed you're sowing now I know this doesn't explain all suffering I want to be very clear it's just this half of the tension but what I have resolved is I want to do my part trying to live on God's line all of the time Okay, you got number one, that's my hope for you. The other side of this is what I've tried to describe, that we go through tests in life, and so how do I handle it if I'm doing that? Here's number two, manage emotions. Emotions have a way of living on our surface, and they are ready to pop off anytime they need to, and they take over when we get hurt. Anybody be, been a witness of that one? The problem is we begin to react instead of responding. And, and Proverbs 29, verse 11 says, A fool vents all of his feelings, but a wise man holds them back. In other words, our emotions can actually warp our sense of what's right and wrong. This feels good, I'm going to go for it. And our emotions actually make the matters even worse and cause more turmoil. We can see that in Moses' life. He led millions of people out of slavery in Egypt. They get in on their way to the promised land. People start bickering. Oh, it was so much better in Egypt. Come on, you gave us water before by striking a rock. Give us more water. Water. We need more stuff. Everything's better. And Moses lost his cool. And he went Donatello on him. He got his staff out. He said, you want some stinking water? Here's your stinking water. And he strikes the rock two times. The Bible says that God said, I am angry with you, Moses, for you misrepresented me with your anger. I told you to strike the rock one time, and I would give you water. And because your emotions got the best of you, you will get to see the promised land, but you will not enter it. Now, I've been to Israel, and I'm happy to tell you, next year, we are going to Israel. For anyone who wants to come, I want to invite you to come with me and see this site that moved me. Because I was driving towards the Dead Sea, and I had Jerusalem for the first time on my right. It was a big mountain up in the distance, about 20 miles away. And over in the distance, about 20 miles this way, there was a big gulf in the middle with the Dead Sea. And they said, if you'll look to the left, this is the mountain Moses was on. When God said, open your eyes. And see the promised land. For this is as close as you'll ever get to it. And I grieved that I don't want to be Moses so close and yet so far. I'd love for you to come with me to Israel and do that. We'll have more information. It's about $5,000 per person, but we're going to spend 10 days in Israel. Your Bible will come to life. It's going to be awesome. Number three, what do I do when my tank's running empty? Number three. Questions can be good. Questioning God can be good. Um, while I might get tired of my kids' questions, any parents can, can you, uh, no more questions. Just, just go play with something. <laughs> just do what I said. Stop, stop asking questions. 
while I might get tired of my kids' questions, God's not that way. God not only is okay with questions, Jesus, the Son of God, said it this way, ask, and then I wouldn't have thrown this in if I were God, and keep on asking. <laughs> Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and don't stop knocking. Like he says, this is fine in my opinion. In fact, um, um, you know, he not only welcomes them, he canonizes them. The book of Job is somewhere around 40 to 50 chapters of people questioning God. And when God says, hey, this is how I want to introduce myself to people. This is the first book I want written and recorded in my Bible. What's it going to be about? About a whole, whole bunch of human beings going, I can't believe God allowed this. Why would God do this? And he says, make sure to get it in my book. I'm proud of the questions. I'm cool with the questions. He not only canonizes them, he endorsed them. Do you know he named his people of God after questioning? Let me help you. A lot of us have heard our father, they were the people of, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Let me give you a quick crash course on Jacob. He was a deceiver. There weren't many good things about him until one day he had an encounter with God and he wrestled with God, and it says, your name will no longer be Jacob, for now on you, you will be called Israel, because you have fought with God and with man and have won. So God's up in heaven going, my people are like a tribe. They need a nickname. What shall we call him? What shall we call the people of God? I got a good name. They're perfectites. There'll be a whole bunch of people who are so perfect, they never experience anything bad. That's how we'll identify our people. Or what about the no problems at allites? He says, you know what? How about we call them after Jacob, a man who wrestled with God and won. Let's call them the Israelites. And God says, I'm cool with my people being known as people struggled. I sat with an atheist three weeks ago at Starbucks and he said, I always was raised in faith and so I never really questioned it. So I'm kind of questioning it now to figure out if it's my own faith. And I looked at him and I said, you don't have to apologize for that. God's cool with that. And I'm proud of you for doing that because I don't think God wants you to just adopt mom and daddy's faith without giving it thought. Mom and daddy prepared you but God's cool with your questions. Now, let me just say it this way. There's a difference between questioning God angrily and questioning God inquisitively. Like, like as a parent, if I say, if I ask my kids to clean the room, there's a difference between why, which means I don't want to, and why. Who's coming over? What's around the bins? What's going on? No parent has a problem with the second question. We've got a lot of problems with it. In the same way, you can ask God questions. And one of the best books I can, I, I've been going through this, Pain to Purpose, it's a devotional that if your tank is empty, I read the whole thing and I went through it. It's brilliant. It's written by a pastor. He and his wife were lead pastors of a brand new church with a young newborn kid. And they are now friends of our ministry. But uh, he left the house to go to the church one day. An intruder came in killed his wife and did not realize that the newborn baby 
was in a crib somewhere and he had to come home to a murdered wife and he didn't know what kind of pain he was about to go through and he wrote this book this devotional called pain to purpose and i highly recommend it we have it in a few copies in the resource center at the same price that it comes from their resource because we want to equip some of you whose tanks empty get this book it's pretty brilliant he walks through job and it's awesome here's the last thing you could do number four stay anchored to your faith when you go through a storm you need your faith anchored solid in what's going on in God focus back on what you know God has called you to do focus back on the goodness of who God has been I love what it says about Job in 6 verse 10 he said at least I can take comfort in this despite the pain I have not denied the words of the Holy One. In other words, I have put a flag in the sand and no matter how bad the winds get, I believe that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil because my faith is solid in God, the rock on which I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. And so that's why it matters so much to join a small group this summer. It matters to get on our dream team and go through the growth track and take your next step. Why? Because I stand up here, a pastor of a number of 100 people, which, by the way, is not about any one person here. It's about an entire team bringing their gifts and to show off the glory of God. But one of the reasons I stand up here is because in 2002, when I gave my life to Christ, I was pumped about Jesus. But I'd be lying if I didn't say there were times where I lived 30 minutes from the church, went to LSU, I thought, I don't want to drive over there today. I just bombed the test. I'm not feeling good about it. The person, uh, I'm at odds with the friends who are there. and I just don't feel like it today. But I already signed up to serve. Or there are already people who know my name there. And if I'm not there, they will lovingly reach out. Hey, PJ, where you at? Hey, Mike, how are things going? And in the same way, You could be a part of this big church and go through the spiritual journey, but if you don't get connected in a small group or join a dream team, how many people know your name? And when you go through those seasons where your tank's running a little empty, it blessed me to know I already signed up to run sound. I can't miss. I gotta be there. It was one of God's ways of saying, I want you in the house. And there are things that I stay anchored to my faith. Amen? Let me pray for you real quick. God, There are many people who have gone through some difficult things. Life is so cruel sometimes. But I thank you that you're God over all. And that you got a plan. And that in Job's life, he gave him double for his trouble. In Jesus' life, the grave was not the end of the story. In so many testimonies of this church, we hear that the end is not the end. It's only the beginning of the testimony you are writing. And even though life is harsh and cruel, I thank you that you're God over all. And that you're there watching over the ladder. And that you're there helping us to see what's on in the inside of us. That you don't treat us like robots where we don't get to see the vibrance of life. But you give us free choice. And then you lovingly guide us in it. So Father, in every single test and opposition, I pray God's mercy over it all. I pray God's goodness over it all. I pray the anchoring of faith over every one of your people online and in person, that when we go through the valley and the storms, we know you're the God over the wind and the waves. Even the disciples question, where's God in the storm? And you showed up just for them to see. I am with you, and there is a power in me you know not of. Father, today, I pray there's a revelation 
revelation of the God who walks with us and the power we know not of. You're a good God and you're doing amazing things. And we cannot wait to hear the testimonies that will come. In Jesus' name. And if you receive that, let me hear you say a loud amen. Let it be done. With every head still bowed, every eye still closed. If you're in this place and you say, I'm not close to God, but I need to get close to God. Here's one more reason we go through pain in life. And I held it till this moment. And it's this. The last point about pain is we realize that we don't want to live in it eternally. When you go through pain, you go, this sucks. And I don't wish it upon anyone. It's difficult and painful. One reason God would allow pain is because he doesn't want you to have an eternity of pain. When Jesus described hell, he said there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. In other words, perpetual pain. God said, I wouldn't want anyone to live in it. The kingdom of God is near to you today. But let me tell you about the kingdom of God a little bit because the Bible describes it like this. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain. All these things are gone forever. Come on. Heaven is an amazing place where God wants you to realize that the momentary pain you go through in this life, God is the deliverer of it to make sure that you walk in heaven. And so with every eye still bowed, every head still bowed, every eye still closed, no one's looking around, I will not embarrass you or call you forward, but I don't want you to live eternally in pain. I know some of the momentary pain you go through feels so cruel. That's why Jesus came, to deliver you of all your sin so that you could walk into those pearly gates. And if you say, Pastor Drew, that's what I want, then I need you to surrender lordship of your life. Give it to Jesus and ask him to forgive you of your sins. If that's you, no one's looking. Just throw your hand high up into the air real quick so I know who I'm praying with. Yeah, I see you. Thank you. Thank you. I see you in the back. Thank you. I see you too. I see you too. Online, if that's you, say, hey, write in the chat, that's me too. And all of the church is going to pray this prayer along with you as you say it with them out loud. Say, Jesus, I give you my life. I know I've sinned. I've messed up. I ask you to forgive me. I'm sorry for the hurt I've caused. I've caused pain too with my sin. And I thank you that right now you're forgiving me. Because Jesus is the Son of God and He died in my place, I am forgiven of my sin. Thank you, Jesus. The old is gone, the new has come, and you, Jesus, are my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name I pray. And the church said, amen and amen. Come on and celebrate.